In Jesus' name. Our Father, we give you praise. We give you worship for today. We thank you for your hand upon our lives. We thank you for strength. We thank you for the beauty of your presence. Thank you for helping us to gather together once again. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you for love. Thank you for putting this program together. Thank you for keeping us alive to see this day. Thank you for keeping us healthy. Thank you because it's in your infinite mercy and love that we are able to gather once again. Father, we pray that as we open your word, as we listen, as I speak, that I would not speak of myself. I would not speak out of any form of intelligence. I would not speak out of any form of self-will, but you will speak through me in Jesus' name. You would say the things that you want me to say in Jesus' name. And your name alone will be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, first of all, I'd like to w- welcome everyone to today's um, program. Uh, it's titled, Why Jesus? And it's supposed to be a two-day teaching program. And on the flyer, there were some questions that were written there to kind of give us an idea exactly what direction we will be going with this particular program. Uh, Primarily, the reason why it's called Why Jesus is because we live currently in a culture or we live in a society or the world and the state that the world is in today is at a place where there is a lot of lack of understanding for why Christianity exists. There are a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of strife. Um, People hate to be spoken to about Jesus Christ. Um, Even before they hear what you say, half the time, people are not willing to listen to you when you're speaking about him. And yes, some of this is expected because Jesus told us that this will happen. But ultimately, the reason why this program exists is for us to truly examine what it means for us to be Christians. And if you are not a Christian, it's to teach why exactly Christianity exists. Some people think that Christians are simply people who have put themselves in a place where they feel like they are superior to others. I've spoken to a lot of people. I've had a lot of conversations. I have related with a lot of people. And a lot of times I have the conversation about what makes you think that 
what you believe in or what you say you believe in is better than what I believe in. What's the point in even believing in something in the first place? Some would say that, oh yeah, I was speaking to someone about two, three weeks ago and I went out to evangelize and he was speaking to me and he said, well, bros, you have told me your own. Nobody can stop anybody from believing what they want. Everybody has their own God in their heart. Everybody has their own way that they follow. We live in a world where when you speak about Jesus and you talk about how he is the way, the first reaction you get is, how dare you try to force your opinion and your thoughts on me? Are you trying to say that everybody else that does not believe this thing that you say you believe in, are there something wrong with them? Is Christianity preaching superiority? Are we saying that we are better than everybody that believes in something else? Are we saying that there is something good about us that makes other people unworthy? Why do we open our mouths to say that Jesus is the only way to God? Who gave us the right to make such bold claims? That's the reason why we're here. We're here to talk about those things. We're here as God will help us to kind of answer some of those questions. And using the word of God, shed light on some of these issues. And I pray that God will help us in Jesus' name. So it's a two-day program, uh, today and tomorrow, Sunday. And what I'm going to talk about today and what I'm going to talk about tomorrow are very connected, they are interconnected. In some way, it might seem like I'm repeating myself, but I will be tackling the same subject from two different angles. But for today, we're going to start from probably the most popular scripture in the Bible. And we're going to start from the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. If you grew up in a Christian house, you probably know this verse if you've been around christians at any point in time if you went to children's sunday school at some point in time in your childhood you probably know this verse probably even if even if you don't come from that household if you went to a christian primary school or secondary school you probably know this verse because they will have taught you crk at some point and this verse will come up it's the most popular verse in the bible it's been quoted to me since i was a child 
and he reads this. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I read again, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This verse, as simple as it sounds, and for many people that might be listening, whether you're online or you're here, you might have heard it a lot of times. But as simple as it sounds, it's packed with so much. It's packed with so much because all the drivers, the major drivers of what you would call the Christian life or the Christian faith are in this verse. The entire narrative of Christianity somehow is captured in this verse. And I want to speak about those narratives, or those drivers rather, really quickly. And from there we'll move into the meat of what we want to talk about today. The first thing I want to talk about is love. So this verse says that what for God so loved the world. Christianity is rooted in love. Without love, there is no Christianity. Without love, there is no Christian faith. Christian faith has little or nothing to do with fear of hell or fear of how you are going to end up in that at some point, you know, if you don't obey God, if you don't follow God, he will destroy you. There's some credence to that. There's some truth to that statement. But it's not complete. It's not complete. And usually it's preached out of context. What I'm saying today is that without the sacrificial love of God, and the Bible says that he loved the world and he gave his son, without him giving his son Jesus to us, there is no Christian life. Christianity goes beyond having a moral code of conduct. Christianity goes beyond trying to be good, trying to live a good life, trying to be a good person. These things are okay things. Societally, you can identify someone. You say, oh yeah, that guy is a really nice guy. That girl is a really nice girl. They are really cool people. Oh, he's so sweet. Oh, she's so nice. Christianity goes beyond trying to be good, trying to live a good and decent life. The first thing that drives anything that we call Christianity is love. Because love is at the root of every single thing that we call the Christian life today. Because this verse tells us that what God loved the world and he gave his son. That's the first word and that's the first driver. The second word there 
is belief. So the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The second word and the second driver that I want to speak about today is belief. There is no Christianity without belief. So, it's quite possible that somebody decided to come to this program or to attend online purely out of intellectual curiosity. Oh, I just want to know what they will say. It's even quite possible that the reason you attended or you are attending is because you are totally antagonistic to what the program title is. And essentially, you want to hear every single thing that I say and look for evidence to counter it. It's quite possible. But the thing that I want us to understand is this. So, in schools, there is a there is a course of study called theology. Theology essentially is the study of God. It's the study of the nature of God. And there are different types of theology. So there's Christian theology, which essentially is the study of the nature of the biblical God. And this course is taken in universities. People go to school. And the same way you will study medicine or study engineering or study accounting or study business administration or economics, people go to school and study theology. Some study to the bachelor's level, some study to master's, some get a doctorate. Some people are professors in theology, but they don't believe in Jesus because for them, it is purely an intellectual thing. For them, it's just in their brain. It's just something to know. It's like a field of study. It's like studying history or studying, you know, philosophy. It's purely intellectual. I love theology and I'm studying theology myself. But without belief, there is no Christian faith. I remember I went out to speak to someone and um, I was evangelizing and I was speaking to him and we're having conversations and the next thing he told me, he, he was talking about, he was talking to me about the history of the Bible and, you know, talking to me about how, um, Christianity coming to Africa and what happened when the missionaries came. And we had a short discourse on it. And basically, he was throwing questions at me and throwing things like, basically, he was throwing questions at me and making statements to me to try to rattle me. Because when you go out to evangelize, you meet different kinds of people. And there are some people that they're just waiting for you to talk so they can say something to see how you react. Or they'll say something to see whether you know what you're talking about. And he was one of those. And as he was throwing those things, 
I was taking them and I was answering him. And he was quite shocked that some of the things that he was telling me historically, things that he has probably researched or Googled or even studied, that I knew about them. But when we were done, I told him something. I said, see, the root of the Christian life is not about debunking theories. The root of the Christian life is faith. The only thing that saves us is belief. So when it comes to God, you have to believe first, then grow in knowledge. If you amass knowledge and there is no belief in him, all you have is knowledge. You just know stuff. The root of the Christian life is belief. It's one of the drivers. So the first driver we talked about from John 3.16 is love. That God loved and he gave Jesus. And there is no Christianity without love. There's also no Christianity without belief. And it's the reason why I tell Christians, there's no point arguing about Jesus. At your office, at your when you're on the road with your family members, wherever you find yourself and there is a discussion about Jesus and it's tending towards argument, just walk away. Because Christianity is not about arguing. Everybody will always say what they think is right. But if there is no faith, then there is no Christian life. Because the Bible says that what? God loved and he gave his son. But he also says that whoever believes, and that takes me to the next driver, the third and the last driver. And this driver is made up of two words because the Bible says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The third driver is crossing from death into life. And this is the part that people don't like to admit. This is the part that people don't like to hear. Unfortunately, this is also the part that Christians sometimes tend to start with. So they don't talk about the love of God. Some Christians go out to speak about Jesus. They don't talk about the love of God. They don't talk about the fact that it's belief, it's faith in him that wins us over to Jesus, that Jesus wants us to believe him. They don't talk about the love. They don't talk about the belief or faith. They go straight into death. And they go straight into things like hell and destruction and all that. Those things are incomplete without talking about God's love. Because fear does not save anybody. There are people in this world today that have determined, that have said, Shebi is the hell that you people are talking about. And let's be going. Like, we're ready to go. Because at some point, people, human beings just get disenchanted. 
if all you tell them is that, oh, you're going to die for doing what you do, oh, it's going to end in wrong, without making them understand exactly what it is that God wants for humanity and for man. At some point, people will just say, Shibi is the hellfire, and let's be going. I've heard that so many times. Some will say, ah, we're in Nigeria, are we not in enough hell? With all the things that are going on with us. But this driver is the third, and it's important. Death itself is not a driver. The driver is that we're crossing over from death to life. So yes, there is a perishing. There is death. But ultimately, that's not God's angle. God's angle is that he wants you to have life. If he did not want you to have life, he would not have given his son. So the focus of salvation is not scaring you about the fact that some people will perish. Yes, there is a perishing. But it is not God's intention for anyone to perish. So the third driver is that you would come and cross over from perishing, which is death, into life. And those are the three things that drive the Christian life. Those are the three things that drive anything Christianity. You cannot have a conversation about faith or Christianity or the word of God without focusing first on these three things love, faith or belief and crossing from death to life and it's from this point that we go into what we are talking about today and the theme of today's teaching is life or death The entirety of this Bible my Bible is old it has seen better days but the entirety of this Bible in order to unlock this Bible and to understand what it truly means you first have to understand those two words what is life and what is death Understanding what life is and understanding what death is opens up the entire Bible. The entire Bible makes sense. Once you can get exactly what life means and exactly what death means. And personally, because of the environment I grew up in, because I grew up in a Christian household, because I grew up under the tutelage Christian parents have always been reading this Bible but it took a while for me to understand it not understanding like I didn't know the stories I could tell you the story of Adam and Eve tell you the story of Cain and Abel from my youth tell you the story of how at some, at some point rain fell from the sky and destroyed everybody and Noah and his family were saved 
I still remember pictures from my book of Bible stories. I knew the stories. And even growing up, I developed a routine when I got into uni where I knew that, okay, at night, before I sleep, I open my Bible, read a couple of verses. There was a time when I was reciting Psalm 23 all over and over again. It was like my mantra before bed. I think that was in secondary school and Psalm 91. Many people probably have similar experiences. The challenge, though, is that as you grow up and as you get older, at some point, at some point, you start to ask questions. And when you don't have answers to the questions that you're asking, the tendency is to walk away from it altogether. So many people get stuck in this weird loop of either... At some point in their lives, the only reason why they are going to church is because they've always gone. They've always gone. Since they were kids. And when they get freedom of any sort, they don't see the point anymore. And they just walk away. I've been there. But like I said... And we're going to walk through it today. When you understand what life means and you understand what death is, the Bible will make sense. And to understand this, we have to go to the first book in the Bible. And I want us to go to the book of Genesis. I believe very strongly that Genesis is the most important book in this Bible. Personally, I I read a lot of novels and I've come to realize that usually whatever happens in the first first two chapters or first two or three chapters, basically 10% of a novel Whatever happens at that beginning of a good novel, as long as it's good, sets the tone for everything that's going to happen in that book. For every single thing. I'm not saying the Bible is a novel. I'm just making a comparison. In the course of today's talk, as we talk about life and death, we're going to talk about two major things about God in the process. But I just want us to go along. Life and death, I want us to look at the first time both of them are mentioned in Scripture. And the first time that we see life being mentioned in the context of man is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Some versions will say and man became a living being. The Bible says and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. That's the first mention of life in context of God a man. 
And the first mention of death or dying is also in Genesis chapter 2. And it's in Genesis chapter 2 from verse 16 to 17 where the Lord said, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The question is, what does this mean? I'll start with life. In the Greek, when we look at Genesis chapter, or sorry, in the Hebrew, when we look at Genesis chapter 2 from verse 7, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when the Bible says that, and God breathed into the nostrils of man, and man became a living soul. The word for breath there is ruach. And that word in Hebrew also means wind or spirit. So essentially, in Genesis 2-7, the Bible is saying that, and God put his spirit in man. And man became a living soul. That word soul or being, depending on your translation, is nefesh in Hebrew. I'm not saying this for you to cram it or memorize it. I'm trying to break down what it means when we talk about life. In scripture, there's something that we call the law of first mention. And essentially, when a word is first mentioned or used in a particular context, it usually will tell you the meaning of that word, what it truly means. And the Bible says in Genesis 2, verse 7, that God formed man from the dust of the earth. And he breathed into the nostrils of man. And man became a living being. So essentially, God put his spirit into dust. And that dust came alive. This skin we have here feels and looks nothing like the ground. We've seen clay. We know what clay looks like. We know what soil looks like. And this is one of the most amazing scriptures in the Bible because you can read it over and over again and just pass it by. But then, how did dust Turn to this. How did clay or sand or humor soil turn to this? How did that become what we call anatomy today? Bones, blood, 
ligaments, joints, muscles. The explanation that the Bible gives us is God breathed his spirit into man. And it's called the breath of life. So essentially, the purpose for this verse is to make us understand something. That man, and to understand anything about death and life, it's important to get that man is first a spirit. Because without the spirit of God, without the breath of God coming into clay or dust, we're non-existent. Man was given his soul, but that soul was not active. It wasn't quickened until the Spirit of God came into man. And when the Spirit of God came into man, the Bible says that man became a living soul. So God created this body to house the Spirit that he put in man. Man is first the Spirit. And the reason why it's important to understand this is because of what we will talk about when we get to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Because when we get to Genesis chapter 3, we will come to find out that there are three major players in the events that happened in the garden. Three major players. There was man, there was Satan, or the serpent, and there was God. And these three people or personalities that were involved in the events of the garden in Genesis chapter 3, three of them are spirits. Three of them are spirits. Man is a spirit. He has a soul. He lives in a body. And the Bible tells us in Genesis that when God created man, he gave man work and said what? He should tend to the garden. The truth is, the life that we live today is the only life that we understand. Because it's difficult for us to imagine what life must have been for Adam before his fall. If Adam had God's spirit, and we say that God is a spirit, what that means is that Adam had the very nature of God. So it's not surprising that you read weird things like, oh, Adam named all the animals. And you ask yourself, how many animals existed then? Even the animals we know today in the animal kingdom, how was it possible for one being or human to say he's naming all the animals? When you read through Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, even up to 3, the events that happened in those three books are not logical, like you cannot explain how God said, Adam, name all the animals. And every single animal that Adam named was exactly what he called it. Man is a spirit. 
man is a spirit. I want us to check out Genesis chapter 2 again, 16 and 17. And the Bible says, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Remember, we're talking about life and death. If it was the Spirit of God that entered man and man became a living being, it means that life is the nature of God. And it manifests itself in three ways. Life is first spiritual. And what that means is that life is first God living in us. So that we have his nature. Then life is also physical. Because man was dust. He was nothing. Before the spirit came into him. Then life is also eternal. And that will bring us back to John 3.16 where the Bible says, They shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is the final manifestation or the final form of spiritual life. Where man will be with God forever. Life is the very nature of God. That's what life is. And so the Bible says that in Genesis 2, 16 to 17, he told Adam, says, you can eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. If you eat of it, you will surely die. And I remember that this is one of the most controversial verses in the whole Bible. Many arguments have occurred on top of this verse because people will say, well, if God is God, then he must have known that man was going to eat of that fruit. So why did he put it there? Why is God trying to tempt Adam? Essentially, God set us up for failure. And that's why we are where we are today. Those are the arguments that I've heard. Those are the things that I've heard said. And that brings me to the first thing that I want to say about God. And about the state of man in the garden. And it's important for us to understand this. Because if we understand this, and I pray that God gives us understanding. Everything else will make sense. 
the first thing I want to talk to us about is about God. It's God is a God of choice. Our obedience to God is absolutely meaningless to Him if we don't have the choice to disobey. He will give you the tools to obey Him. But He will still let you choose. Some people say stuff like, oh, um, God created... You know, God created the angels. The angels are essentially robots. The angels are just, you know, in heaven to do or to answer at every God's every whim. Whatever God needs, God will just send them. They have no choice. They have to go. You know, we read about some angels in the Bible. Read about Gabriel. Read about Michael. And people say, oh, yeah, those ones, essentially, they're God's servants. They just go wherever they ask. No complaints, no questions. They don't have a choice in their existence that is untrue and the reason why we know it's untrue is because the devil himself was an angel and the bible tells us that he didn't just leave god alone he left heaven with one third of the angels if the angels did not have a choice that could not have happened Every angel currently serving with God is there by choice. God will always equip you with the tools to obey. But he will give you a choice. If the option to disobey him does not exist, then your obedience means nothing to God. God will give you every single thing that you need to follow him. But if you're following him, is the only option available. It means nothing to him. The book of Deuteronomy tells us something interesting. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. We don't have to read it. We don't have to open it. I'll just read it. Deuteronomy 30, 15 says, See, I have said before you today, life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your hearts turn away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. This is Deuteronomy 30 from verse 15 to 18. And verses like that really baffle me on some level. Because God is saying, oh, I give you life and good. I give you, you know, evil and bad. And he's now saying, choose. If you choose to worship me, this is what will happen to you. But if you do not worship me, this is what is going to happen to you. And somehow you might have the temptation to ask yourself and say, why is he even doing this though? Like, why doesn't he just make the only option worshipping him? Like, why does there have to be something else? 
Because our obedience to God means nothing to him if we cannot disobey. God wants all of us to come to him voluntarily. And I said that he would always give us the tools to be able to make the right choice. For Adam, what he gave Adam was his nature. So, it's difficult for us to understand the state of Adam back then. Because today, as human beings, we know right and wrong. Every child that is growing up, or she's growing up, at some point, will know that taking meat from mommy's pot is a bad thing. Whether they will do it or not is a different situation. Most of the time, they will do it. Because they want meat. Sometimes I get so fascinated at two-year-olds, three-year-olds on TikTok or Instagram with their parents correcting them for something that they did. And somehow, they know that thing is wrong. <laughs> and they did it anyway. There was this challenge that was going around about like a child waiting for chocolate at some point. It's been a very long time ago. But basically, the parents would put chocolate on the table and say, okay, don't touch it, I'm coming back. And the parents would go for like God knows how long. And some children, as soon as the parent goes, they just go pick the chocolate, they are gone. Some other children will actually wait and wait and wait. And ultimately, those that pick the chocolate and eat, when the parents come back, they know that they did something wrong. And depending on the child, the child will say, well, the, the parents was gone for a while. I wanted it, so I took it. And the question you ask yourself is, how did they know that something is right or wrong? Because as human beings, knowing what is good and what is evil is innately within us. We cannot conceptualize a time when humanity did not have such a thing. We can't. It's almost impossible. Because you that are listening to me, you know something is bad, you know something is good. Whether you will do the good one is another conversation. But you know. Adam. Adam, the Adam of Genesis chapter 2, did not have this burden. He did not know good and evil. He only knew God. Do we know what this means? This means that every single step that Adam took, every single thing that he did, he and God were in sync. That there was no difference between the desires that Adam had and the things that God wanted Adam to do. And when God and Adam were communicating, they were speaking the same language, they were on the same page, because life is the nature of God and Adam had life so because he had life there was no difference in will in desires in thoughts in emotions between what God wanted and what Adam wanted so Adam had no problem obeying God because he didn't have the burden of choice Not in a robotic sense. In a me and God are the same. 
God gave Adam something so precious, something that he did not even give the angels. God gave Adam his nature. So Adam was an extension of God. It's the reason why Adam could tend to that garden. Who taught Adam gardening? Read in Genesis 2, God says, okay, so he planted a garden and put Adam there and said, okay, tend to this garden. How did Adam know what to do? He knew what to do because God knew what to do. And whatever God knew, Adam knew. Because he had God's nature. The only difference between them was that God was ruling the heavens and Adam was ruling the earth. And that was God's plan. But like I said, God is not creating robots. God is not about blind obedience. God is a God of choice. He would equip us to make the right choices, but he would never choose for us. So what is life? Life is having the very nature of God. And it manifests itself in spiritual life, physical life, and eternal life. And that brings us to death. And it's Genesis 3, 1 to 7. And I don't want to read the entire temptation. We know it. I'll read from verse 8. The Bible says that, And they heard the sound of the Lord working in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 11. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And verse 22 says, I'm skipping to 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has now become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden to till the ground from which he was taken. Amen. It's interesting that when God was talking to them about eating from good and evil and dying, he never mentioned the tree of life then. He mentioned the tree of life when he was chasing them out of the garden. The tree of life is the manifestation of eternal life. What we described when we're talking about life, when we said life is spiritual life, which is God's nature being in us and us having him inside us. 
physical life, which is life of our body, and eternal life, which is this final manifestation of spiritual life, which is us being with God and living forever with him. But the Bible tells us that when Adam disobeyed God, and God came in the cool of the evening, They heard the footsteps of God, the sound of God coming, and they went to hide. And when they went to hide, God said, why are you hiding? They said they knew they were naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? What happened at this point is that man died. Of course, Adam was still talking to God. So, death is not an event. If life is in nature, then death is also in nature. Death is the nature of the devil. And it also expresses itself in three ways. The first is spiritual death, which is God's spirit leaving man. And man being separated from God. The second is physical death, which was man expiring on this earth. We don't know how long, how much time passed between Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. But it was evident that when God came in the cool of the evening, it was normal practice because Adam recognized the sound of God's presence. We don't know how much time passed. But after man died, First, by being separated from God. And God said in 22, he has become like us. What God means by he has become like us is, God also knows good and evil. But before this point, man was not burdened with that choice. Because God is holy. And because God is holy, there is no evil in him. Even if he knows what evil is and what good is. God can never do evil. And what God did was he put his nature in Adam. So Adam also would not be able to do evil because he would not know what evil is. Because all he would know is God. And God is always good. But Adam became like God in that he knew good and evil now. Evil had become an option for him. And God said... Before he goes for the tree of life, let's cast him out. So death is in nature. And it's the nature of the devil. And it manifests itself in spiritual death. Physical death, which is this body expiring on this earth. And eternal death. Eternal death is what is referenced in John 3.16. When he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal death is the final manifestation 
of spiritual death, which is man being separated from God forever. And these are the events that took place in the garden. And you see, from that point, man entered a vicious cycle. If you're Christian and you're listening to this, and even if you're not Christian, and you're not familiar with the Bible, then I'm going to say something interesting to you. After this point in Genesis, it takes a very long time before we ever hear the devil mentioned again in the Bible. The devil, if you if you study your Bible, you will find out that the devil shows up very few times. He's not there all the time. After this, I'm not sure there's any major mention of the devil until the book of Job. The devil hardly shows up in scripture. Yet, in Genesis chapter 4, immediately after they are driven out of the garden, the story that comes next is the story of Cain and Abel. And essentially, what happened next was what? Cain killed his brother, Abel. But the devil does not show up in that story. Then you read continually, and at some point, we meet Noah, and the Bible says that God was tired of the world because the world was full of evil, because men were wicked. And God was looking for someone that was righteous, and he found Noah, and he told Noah to build him an ark because he wanted to destroy the world because the evil in the world was too much. And we don't hear of the devil. The reason we don't hear of the devil is because we don't need to. The job is already done. Man already had his nature. Man had no choice but to do evil because man had lost the ability to do good. So nobody had to teach Cain how to kill Abel. He didn't need a lesson. He didn't need any tutorials. He just did it because he knew what it was. And man entered this vicious cycle where they know what good is. But because their nature is the nature of death, they lack the ability to do it. And even when the law came with Moses, and we read about amazing people like Joshua, and we read about amazing people like David, we still see that with all these people in the Old Testament, as great as some of them were, as much as they did their best to walk with God with all their hearts and all their minds, some of the heroes of scripture, these people could not help their natures. I'm not even talking about their sin or their mistakes. I'm talking about the fact that the fact that humanity in itself was soaked in death. So was David a good man before God? Yes. God said David was a man after his heart. But David fought a lot of wars and killed a lot of people. David shed blood. He shed so much blood that God did not even let him build 
the temple for him. He says, there's too much blood on your hands. Your son will build it. Does that mean God did not love David? God did. But you see, the nature of man was soaked in death. I'm reading the Old Testament. I'm, sometimes I'm reading the Old Testament and I'm like, man, these were really savage times. Like, people were dying left, right, center. And sometimes we don't ask ourselves, why? Why? And it hasn't changed today. Yes, we have civilization. But man in his default state, default state meaning after the fall of man, after what we just read, spiritual death became our nature. And because we are separated from God, we can't do good. It's not about trying to live a moral life. It's not about trying to be a good person. It's not about trying to be kind. You can try. But from this point on, man man entered a vicious cycle. And you might find yourself in a vicious cycle. Where you know that the things that are happening in your life, like something something has to give. And perhaps you don't know Jesus. Or maybe you're just a churchgoer. You just go to church and come back home with no understanding of why you're doing it. Or maybe at some point you were going to church then you got to a point where you're like, well, what's the point? I don't know what this whole thing is about anyway. I've just been doing it because I want to do it. And humanity today, young people, old people, struggling with various things. For some people, it's not even a struggle. There are some things that are just natural to our world today. That if you're trying to abstain from those things or not to do those things, people think of you as weird, like it's normal. Man's problem is not what he does. Man's problem is who he is. I've dealt with habits in my life. And I know a lot of people that have dealt with habits, dealt with some form of addiction or the other. And I've never been one to like zero down on a particular addiction or zero down on, on a particular habit that is in quote wrong. Especially if the person is not Christian. Especially if the person is not saved. When I see people spiraling in different because I've been there, I know, I understand. Because I've lived a life. But the thing is, Man's problem, it's not what he does, it's who he is, it's in his nature. That's the bane of humanity. It's a nature problem, it's not an actions problem. And this is the reason why Christianity cannot make any sense without understanding death. 
and life. Because it's not about religion. It's not just about having a religious belief. It's about the fact that something happened to man, something happened to humanity as a race that we have not recovered from ever since. And you might have been reading the book of Genesis as a storybook, but the events that happened in those three chapters changed the course of humanity forever. And unfortunately, we don't really know the value of what we've lost because this is the life we've always known. Adam was like God. All he knew was God. And he lost God. And once he lost God, he became lost. And because man is where he is today, because of who he is, and not what he has done, man needed a solution. Man needed a new birth. Man needed new life. He needed life to fix the rot that he was in. Because the rot that man was in and the rot that a lot of people are still in today is that they know what is good. It's not like they don't know that what they are doing or the lives that they are living, there's something wrong with it. They have tried so many times to change, to do better, to be better in one area of their life or the other, but they just can't. And it's a vicious cycle. And it didn't start today. But man's problem is not what he does. It's who he is. And this brings me to the second thing about God that we need to know. The first thing I mentioned is that God is a God of choice. The second thing that we need to understand about God is that God is a just God. God does not play favorites. I remember the first time that I spoke when I talked about the fact that man is a spirit. What I said was that the events that happened in Genesis chapter 3, the three parties that were involved are all spirits. Man, spirit. The devil, spirit. God, spirit. And because God is a just God, God has to be just to every party involved in this matter. Some people might be surprised to hear me say that God had to be just to the devil. But God was just to the devil. Because the devil won fair and square. So God could not just see what happened in the garden and just say, oh, well, let's just pretend like that didn't happen. Okay, Adam, come. You know, I still love you. You're still my son. Does God still love Adam? Yes, of course he did. Even after he drove Adam out of the garden, and I would prove very soon, because we would open in that same Genesis, 
that God still loved man. Because there were things that God did in Genesis to prove to man that God loved man, even after what he did. But irrespective of that love that he had for man, at that moment in time, he still had to cast man out of the garden. Because God is just. He's just to himself. And he has to be just to man as well. God has to be fair to all the parties involved. He had to be fair to the devil. He had to be fair to man because man deserved to be cast out. Fair and square. So, if God did not cast Adam out of the garden, if Adam did not die, it would make God a liar. Because God had said, if you eat, you will die. And Adam ate, so he had to die. So if Adam did not die, it would make God a liar. And God cannot be unjust to himself. It would also make him unjust to the devil. God is a God of principles. But that does not mean that hope was lost. Because in this same Genesis, God did two things in Genesis chapter 3. The first thing that he did was something that he said. And the second was something that he did. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, he said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And in Genesis 3, verse 21, the Bible says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tonics of skin and clothed them. And I would explain what these two things mean. Starting from Genesis 3.15, if you read your Bible, you would see that when he was cursing the serpent, he says, and, be, and I will put an immunity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. The her seed should be in capital letter. It's in capital letter in my Bible. And those things are important. But even if it's not in capital, it does not take away the interpretation. Because with this statement, God already promised us Jesus. Because biologically, women have no seed. In biology, it's the man that has the sperm and the woman that has the egg. The sperm carries the life. The egg is where the life thrives. And it becomes an embryo and a fetus. And the child is born. 
So right from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When God was cursing the serpent, which is Satan, God had already set in motion that a time is coming when a woman would give birth to a child that would not come from a man because that is the only way a woman can have a seed. So he says, I put enmity between your seed and her seed. And with that verse, Jesus was promised to us. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Luke that when Gabriel was speaking to Mary, and Mary said, how would this thing be? I do not know a man. That the angel said to her that the Holy Spirit would overshadow you and you would conceive a son and you would call his name Jesus. And through him, the world will be saved. And right from Genesis, God already set that plan in motion. That one day, somebody was going to come that would crush the head of the serpent while the serpent would bruise his heel. The serpent bruising the heel of the seed signifies that the devil had temporary victory over Jesus because the devil succeeded in killing Jesus. Jesus actually died. But Jesus crushing the head of the serpent or the seed crushing the head of the serpent signifies that that's not the end of the story. Because anybody knows that to kill a snake, you have to crush the head. And once you crush the head, it's dead. If you cut off the tail, you've not done anything. So what this signifies here is that yes, the serpent will have temporary victory over this seed, but this seed is going to crush the head of the serpent because on the third day, the Bible says that Jesus rose up from the grave in victory. Jesus won. And that's the first thing that we learn from Genesis chapter 3. The second thing that we learn from Genesis chapter 3 is in verse 21. And the Bible says that God made tunics of skin and covered Adam and Eve. Essentially, God shed blood because he killed an animal and covered Adam and Eve. And that set in motion the practice of the Jews throughout the Old Testament, the killing of animals, to cover sin. Not to wash it away permanently, but to cover sin. So the first person to start covering sin by shedding blood of animals was, was God himself. Because the Bible says that he covered Adam and Eve, the skin of an animal. But it's not just that. 
it's not just that. It's the fact that this makes us to understand that the only way for life to return to man is for life to be given in the place of man. Because God shed that blood of that animal as a temporary covering while promising in verse 15 that a seed was coming. But it wasn't just about shedding the life of anybody. No random person could die for man because if we say that life is the nature of God, so the only person that can get that life back to man is someone that has God's nature. Because if we say that life is the nature of God and is spiritual life, physical life, and eternal life, it means that the only person that can get man back to where he was is someone that possesses those three types of life. So it could not have been anybody on earth because all of us on earth or the people on earth at that time had already lost God's nature. Because God's nature was so precious, what God gave Adam was so precious, the only two beings in existence that had it at the time were God and Adam. So when Adam lost it, God had to come himself and give it back to us. And that's why Jesus came to die. Because it was the only one. And that's the need and the reason for incarnation. That's the reason why we read in the book of John that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Because God had to come down himself. Nobody else could fix the problem except Jesus. God the Son. And that's the justice that we're talking about. Because yes, man messed up. Yes, man committed what you could only ascribe or compare to high treason. Because it's a horrible thing to give up God's very nature. But God came to fix it. That is what Christianity is. Nothing more, nothing less. So when we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, like the Bible tells us in the book of John, when I say that I believe that Jesus is the only way to God, when I say that without God, or rather without Jesus, anybody who doesn't have him 
cannot truly live and will perish. I don't say it with joy in my heart. I don't say it because I'm trying to make anybody else that does not believe in Jesus feel bad. I don't say it because I am claiming to be superior to that person. I say it because it's a question of life and death. And Jesus was not just a man. He was God himself. He was the second part of the Trinity. In the book of Genesis chapter 2 that we read, Genesis 3, rather, have we read, verse 22, the Bible says that, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. In Genesis 1, 26, the Bible says, Let us make man in our image. Why does the Bible keep saying us? Because Jesus didn't just come into existence when he came as a human being. When he came as a human being, what happened was he took on flesh. He has always been there since the beginning. Every single thing that happened in Genesis 1, every single thing we've been talking about today, Jesus was present. Jesus was present when man fell. Jesus was present when man was chased out of the garden. Jesus was fully involved in all the things that happened that brought man to the state that he is in. So God the Son was sent by God the Father and God the Son came willingly to pay the price so that man can have the nature of God again. So what does John 3.16 actually mean? It means that God loved this world. He loved all of us so much that he sent Jesus down to die and rise up from the dead and defeat Satan forever. And pay the price by dying the death that we should have died. By giving his life for us. So that as a result of that death and resurrection, if you and I believe in him, we would have the nature of God again. It might sound ridiculous, but it really is that simple. that we might be returned to how we were when Adam knew just God. And that is the foundation of the Christian life. And the rest of the Christian life, and we'll talk more about this tomorrow, but the rest of the Christian life The rest of the Christian life is simple. If we say that man, before the fall, did not know good and evil, he knew just God, 
the rest of the Christian life is man coming back to a place where he would know just God and he would not know good or evil. Where the narrative of a man's life would simply be what God wants him to do. God never changed the plan. All God had with Adam in Genesis 2 is still what he wants to have with us today. Fellowship, relationship, us being an extension of his will. Not out of superiority, not because we say we are better than anybody, but because the conversation is about life and death. And Jesus came to rescue us so that we can actually have spiritual life again. So that we can come back into relationship with God. And that can lead us to eternal life. Where we will dwell with God forever. Because anybody that does not accept Jesus is separated from God. And irrespective of how God feels about it. And trust me when I say that God does not like it. He wouldn't have done the things that he did in Genesis if he loved the fact that man was in this state. He wouldn't have sacrificed that animal. He would have just chased them out. He wouldn't have mentioned to the serpents that there was a plan. And rescue was coming. Ultimately, he would not have given us Jesus if he didn't love us. But God is a just God. He's a just God. And irrespective of how he feels about the situation, God is not going to cheat the devil. He's also not going to drag his own name in the mud. So man lost God's nature, fair and square, legally. So what did God do? God enacted and created a plan to get man back to his nature, fair and square. And that plan is Jesus. And that's what makes Jesus the only way. But unfortunately, today we've gotten it all wrong. It's a story of love and is rooted in belief. And it's all about making sure that what God intended for us as a race, which is life and not death, that we have access to it. And any other definition for Christianity is empty. And any other reason, every other Christian activity, from praying, to reading your Bible, to going to church, to fellowshipping, 
So every single activity that you might have done since you were a child, that you gave up on, that you stopped doing at some point, that didn't matter to you anymore because you're like, why am I doing this? Every single place that you left, are you like, man, some people, they worked, they, they were teenagers, they were in the choir, they, were, they did drama, they did ushering, they grew up in the church. Some people, their parents read them the Bible when they were kids and all that, and they grew up, and at some point, they got older, and when they got older, like, like it happens with most of us, you start to ask questions, and when you start to ask questions and you don't have the answers to those questions, you just walk away. And get lost. Every single activity that you might have done if you grew up in a Christian home will never have any meaning to you if you don't understand life and death and the weight of what God came to rescue you from through Jesus. And when you understand that, Every other thing will fall into place. Every other thing will fall into place. That you can now start to grow and say, okay, this is why I pray. This is why I have to open my Bible and study it. This is why I have to go to church. It's not about the activity. Because the activity in isolation is meaningless. It rests on the foundation of those two words. Life and death. Those are the two words that unlock the entire Bible. And it's only from there that we can make any progress. Shall we rise up? Tomorrow, Tomorrow I'm going to be speaking on what's the point of Christianity? What's the point of the Christian life? Okay, so it's going to be an extension of today's subject, but I'll also rehash some things that we've spoken about today for more clarity. But essentially tomorrow the question that we're going to be answering is, okay, so we've talked about life and death. Okay, so if I give my life to Jesus Christ now, What's next? What am I supposed to be doing? What is the entire point of the Christian life? Does the Christian life exist so that God can be your assistant? Is it so that you can simply put on your WhatsApp status or put on tele on on Telegram or put on Twitter and put on Instagram that you're a Christian? Is it simply so that you can just when you're filling a form and there's religion there and you see Christianity, you click on the tab and tap Christian? What's the entire point of the Christian life? Is it so that God can simply bless you and give you money and give you all the things that you desire? Is money bad? Is wanting good things bad? Is that the reason why we actually say we're serving God? Is it possible to get all these things without even thinking of God or knowing Him? What's the point? I believe that we need to ask ourselves these questions. 
And even if you already know the answer, you need to be reminded of the answer sometimes because it's easy for you to forget. It's easy for us to forget with the hustle and bustle of life because you have to hustle, because you have work, because you have to make money, because you have to do so many things. And the Christian life sometimes can become pointless. You can forget. You can get stuck in your different routines and not know why you're doing what you're doing anymore. And once you lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing, once you lose sight of why you're serving God, why you're even saying you believe in Jesus, you start to fall away. And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. God helping us in Jesus' name.